I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Seth? Hi. Hi. (laughs) I didn't know how to respond like every week. I know. What a time. What a time it is. It's our first time seeing each other, talking to each other since the presidential election was called for Joe Biden. It's the first time we're talking to each other in the month of November. And it's still 2020 because every day seems like a new slap in the face somehow. (laughs) Are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing okay. How about you? I'm doing okay. I do have a very important question for you, though. I'm excited. And it's a special guest submission of a (laughs) what would you do in this particular situation question. So this question comes from one of our most faithful listeners, my own father, Tim Fuller, who wanted us to explore this particular situation. Would you want to be a hummingbird or a hawk? Oh man, this is a good question. I think so too. I've been I've been keeping it in my back pocket. I think this will be a nice surprise for him to listen to because he truly is a faithful listener. But yeah, hummingbird or hawk, you've got the ability to fly, but it's really about what kind of flying do you want to do? Okay, I think I'm going with hummingbird. Oh man, I knew we were going to fight on this one. Okay. <laughs> the hummingbird is the only bird that can fly backwards. Fair. Which is which is neat. That's amazing. I think this I don't think it's a bad option. I just don't think it's the best option. <laughs> And I'll tell you why. <laughs> there are so many times in my life where I feel like a truly out of control, frantic ball of energy. And for me to have to exist that way to fly feels like an unnecessary addition of stress to my life. So I'd rather just be able to like pump my wings a few times and then just glide. You know? That sounds so nice to me right now. <laughs> it's just to <laughs> just like get up in the air glide around, be able to see really far, and then just dive bomb some bunnies and get some dinner, and then we're in great shape. But being a, I think, being a, I don't think there's a bad option here. I want to reiterate. But I'm definitely going for Hawk over Hummingbird. Okay, I respect is that flying backward. Is flying backwards, though, the only reason you want to be a Hummingbird? Well, I just kind of think that they're, they're beautiful little birds. Like, they're like kind of dainty... I mean, if that's what you want, I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> Do you know how fast a hummingbird flaps its wings? I thought this might come up, so I did look it up. A typical hummingbird flaps its wings up to 80 times a second. 
And that's part of the reason that this level of energy is just, <laughs> it's just too much for me, man. That's insane. That is. That's crazy. Wow. It's amazing. Even they also said that the giant hummingbird, which I don't know very much about, only flaps its wings 12 times a second, <laughs> which is still so, so, so fast. fast. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we are talking today with our scripture about looking up. That's a theme. Thus the birds. But why don't we go ahead and transition. Seth, will you read our psalm for us today? I would love to. This is Psalm 123, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to you, you who sit enthroned in the heavens. As the eyes of a dog look to the hand of its owner, as the eyes of attendants look to the hand of those they serve, so our eyes look to you, Yahweh, until you show us your mercy. Have mercy on us, Yahweh. Have mercy. You have endured so much contempt. You have endured far too much ridicule from the wealthy, too much contempt from the arrogant. And what made you pick this translation? So we're returning here to the Inclusive Bible, which we used a few episodes ago. It's it's a resource that emerged from the Catholic Church as they developed, as, as certain groups developed more intentionally inclusive portions of Scripture. They said, what would happen if we made the whole Bible intentionally inclusive. And the Psalms in particular are a great example of how this resource can be used because a lot of their work to make these adjustments and translation choices was done with worship in mind. And since the Psalms are a songbook, they're intended for worship, I thought this would be a really meaningful way to explore this potentially in a new way. And even some of the metaphors that were listed that we might talk about a little bit, they look a little different, and I appreciate the, the ways that those images changed. But as you read through this passage, this psalm, what stood out to you? Okay, maybe you can shed some light on this. But the very first note, I, I mean, it's called a prescript, but it's like it comes before the psalm seems to start but after the numbering, and it says a song of ascents. Do you know anything about that? So I can offer a little bit of context here that's helpful. Uh, so for the people of Israel in ancient times, uh, the city of Jerusalem was central to their identity. It was central to their political life. It was central to their religious life. It is not, not a city as we understand cities today. But it was a city for them in terms of a capital, an anchoring point for their existence as a people. And Jerusalem was set up on a hill. And rather than talking about, I'm going south or I'm going west to Jerusalem, you're always going up to Jerusalem and coming down from Jerusalem. That is how geography was oriented for, for ancient Israel. And especially for festivals or other reasons that people might make a pilgrimage to the city of Jerusalem, these songs of ascents, which are kind of a section of the Psalms that run from Psalm 120 to 134, are the songs that they would sing on the way to these festivals. Mm -hmm. And so they vary in tone some, but they have this idea of looking and going upward. Uh, again, why we 
chose the the bird question for <laughs> WWYDITPS. But really, these are songs that the people of Israel would sing as they were taking that really meaningful journey to a city that was really important for their sense of identity and for their faith and spirituality as well. Hmm, okay. Thanks for adding that. That's helpful. It, it helps me see kind of more connections in the in the text with up and looking, which is helpful too. Kind of puts that in perspective. The next thing I noticed is I love this line. As the eyes of a dog look to the hand of its owner, as the eyes of attendants look to the hand of those they serve. Oh, what strikes me about it is I think that the first the first half and the second half feel different to me. I mean, I do have a dog named Marshall. But I always think when, when Marshall's looking at my hand, it's like, it's for a handout. Like, no pun intended. Like, he's like, <laughs> okay, give me a treat. Come on. But the eyes of attendants looking to the hands of those they serve, like, feels like it goes the opposite direction to me. It's not a receiving. It's like, what what can I give to these people that I'm serving? Well, I think I think working working in reverse with the metaphor can be helpful here. So that the hmm. concluding line in the next verse is, "So our eyes look to you, God, until you show us your mercy." Mm-hmm. And so thinking about that then allows you to kind of go in reverse and see how they might have been understanding those metaphors as they were used. But the interesting thing, this was actually one of the images that changed up a little bit because this is in the inclusive mm-hmm. Bible. A lot of translations have some gendered imagery here where it's like the male servants look at look at their lords and the female servants look at their ladies kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> um, hmm. in, in just like, it, it says the same thing, but a way that's not necessarily as helpful. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I'm with, I'm with you. I think there's a, there can be some confusion here, but thinking about the longing of a dog for whatever is in your hand, whether that's food that they're not supposed to have or a toy that you're playing with, viewing God with that same level of longing. That's the word that keeps coming to mind when I hear that imagery. And part of that too is reinforced by the end of the psalm, where again, the psalmist cries for God's mercy and talks about how much they've endured. Mm-hmm. Talk about endure, yeah. enduring contempt enduring ridicule from the wealthy and contempt from the arrogant and so there's this clear sense of longing for god in the midst of things that are feeling like they're holding them back and holding them down and so with with this too there is a sense of like kind of reinforced hierarchy i think in this Mm -hmm. so it's no secret that dogs were not viewed as highly in the ancient world as they are now. There's obviously a hierarchy with with an attendant and those they serve. Like there's there's dynamics there that are kind of reinforced when they're thinking about Israel's relationship with God. But in this sense, they're looking with longing to God to kind of reach and pull them up, to pull them mm. up to Jerusalem on mm. their journey so that they can be restored, so that they can experience God's mercy, and so that they can endure, continue to endure the things that are the things that are holding them back and holding them down. Hmm. And so that kind of reaching out for something 
in a sense. I think that's a powerful image, that, that level of longing in the midst of suffering and in the midst of exclusion. I, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I'm, I'm wrestling with that a little bit, just thinking about though when this would have been used, kind of on the way to a festival, on that, that journey or that pilgrimage where you're fl- reflecting about your life and experience and seeking God in the midst of that to sustain you through that journey as kind of an indicative experience of how you're seeking God to sustain mm. you through the mm. other things in your life. Mm. That's just really powerful for me. And then I think at the end, we get a glimpse into what they might be experiencing. Hmm. Right, This ridicule from the wealthy, contempt yeah. from the arrogant. That's what they do. Yeah, and, and that assumes, and that, that helps us understand the psalmist and this, these groups a little more, right? Yeah. Is that, yeah. at least in their minds, they're not arrogant, which <laughs> I guess you can argue. <laughs> but maybe they're viewing a distinction between them and the wealthy, too. Mm-hmm. And so knowing the type of people who wouldn't be able to live in Jerusalem or wouldn't, or are living elsewhere but are still not experiencing the kind of abundance of others and are being looked down upon for it, it just reinforces that idea that I know we talk about quite a lot is that you know, God is reaching out, seeking to help lift up in this sense, kind of literally, yeah. Yeah. those who are on the margins, who are at risk of you know, not being able to provide for themselves or have enough, or at least they're not those that have too much, uh, which which I think is reinforced here. Yeah, it helps me see them identifying as the dog and as the attendant, right? Rather than the owners and then the ones who are being served. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I didn't think about that. So it's almost like God is reaching, reaching through those hierarchies to... To lift them up yeah. to a level of of honor and celebration and love, yeah. Well, is there anything else? I know this is a short psalm; uh, it's one of the shorter ones. But is there anything else that stood out to you? Is we we've talked about almost all of it, but I didn't know if there was anything else or if you wanted to move on to conversation about what's the point. The only thing that stood out to me is this translation renders God's name just as as capital Y H W H, and I pronounced it. In, as Yahweh in my reading, uh, which would not be the tradition of people who are Jewish. But um, sometimes I think it can be helpful to render God's name rather than just saying the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, again and again and again. So I think that yeah. that's helpful here. It can add like something that's more personal. That's a really important thing to clarify, Seth, and I appreciate you doing that. And a couple tips with naming God in the Hebrew Bible, uh, when you're reading through and you see Lord in those small capital letters, that's this rendering of God's name that Seth pronounced here that um, is rendered with the consonants in English, Y-H-W-H. The authors of the Hebrew Bible dare not spell out for fear of profaning the sacred name of God. This is the name that was revealed to Moses at the burning bush when God said, I am who I am, or could also be translated, I am who I will be, or I will be who I will be. This this mysterious revelation of the name of God became so sacred that these authors didn't want to write it out. And in fact, wrote a series of consonants that when spoken in Hebrew, sound like the word of a breath. Yeah. And and that that's an important reminder 
And another tip, too, is to, when you see that, if you want to be more creative while still honoring and respecting our, our Jewish neighbors, you can offer an alternative name for God in those spaces. One of my favorites is Living One. That's, I think, my favorite name for God. And you might be able to think of something or find another name in the passage that you're reading or a theme or an idea or one one that one that stands out to you, too, so that you can kind of enliven your reading with some more creativity but not have to depend on uh, not have to depend on that name that might cause problems for some folks mm-hmm. in certain circles. Mm-hmm. Those are helpful tips. Yeah. So with that, I think we're ready to move on to a little conversation about what's the point. And I don't know, with the idea of a song of ascents, the kind of paraphrase of what's going on for folks who are singing these songs is the idea of an uphill journey. And... I don't know. I just feel like at this moment in this country, at this moment for the church, we're on an uphill journey. We have a serious task ahead of us, but it is a goal worth pursuing. And the prayer of this passage is to fix our gaze on on God, to sustain us by God's mercy for that journey. And I'm just curious to hear from you, Seth, about what you think the church's uphill journey looks like right now. Like, what are some of the things that we're facing? And maybe we can speculate a little bit about what it means to kind of fix our eyes on God and ask for God's mercy uh, as we think about the church and its witness in these days. It's only been a couple days since the election and even even fewer days since the the apparent winner was declared. Uh, but one thing that has struck me from seeing some of the early exit polls is the way that religion and especially evangelical Christianity seems to influence which candidate people voted for. You can predict mm. um, with with quite some accuracy who someone will vote for based on whether they identify as an evangelical or born-again Christian. Uh, so I think that part of part of the uphill work and untangling we have to do is determining how our political and religious identifications got to be so intertwined with one another. Mm. Not, I'm not entirely sure how to start teasing those out, if I'm honest. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's a reasonable question. And... For the church to be an agent of healing in these times, we have to be honest about where we've been and where we're going. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's part of the uphill journey. Mm-hmm. It's like the the destination, I mean, depending on your theology, might feel inevitable, but it's not a destination that we get to automatically, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I appreciate the language in my tradition about know this big word sanctification (laughs) but the 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 process of the the way i i i most appreciate talking about it is the process of our love for god and our love for our neighbor becoming more and more part of how we operate that becomes Mm -hmm. more of what flows into us and flows out of us more most freely and 
that process is one that requires a lot of hard work. Like even, even again, if you think that some sort of ultimate restoration and reconciliation of all things is coming, if Jesus is coming again, even if you think that's happening, Scripture is full of examples of why our work in the meantime really matters. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but almost because it's necessary to get to that end, mm. even if it is an, an inevitable reality. And so I appreciate, though, for this moment right now, that idea of kind of unraveling the deep connection that our politics and our religion have formed. And that's not to say that one can't inform the other, Mm -hmm. but for us to say, for you to be a good Christian or a Christian, like your beliefs must move one way or the other. This party is the Christian party. Exactly. It's, it's surprising for me to see that and hear that when you have now a president-elect in Joe Biden who, in his first speech as president-elect, cited an incredibly popular hymn and a passage of scripture from the book of Isaiah when he is identified with the party that is often least identified with at least evangelical and born-again Christianity. And I think part of the narrative that gets lost is how how folks, even folks like Joe Biden, but I also think folks like you and me, who whose faith deeply informs the way we think about politics, but it leads us to a different conclusion, mm-hmm. too. So, yeah, I'm with you, though. I don't know how we begin to tease, tease those things apart, because I know that that's something I need to explore for myself. You touched just briefly about knowing where you've been helps you kind of understand where where you are and where you were going so maybe that's my starting place thinking about like how can i think about the way the tangling has happened historically what what events are, or situations have have caused this entanglement and from there we can start maybe to unravel it a little bit but yeah feels like a tough knot to try and untangle like at least just from from my thinking right now there's like there's a lot of things i think that need to be unpacked in this kind of one topic but yeah it almost feels i don't know another metaphor that's coming to mind rather than like a knot in a in a rope (laughs) or a a cord of some kind is actually like a knot in a muscle Mm -hmm. like somehow Somehow these things that are supposed to be working together well, Hmm. well, truly, the tension has caused things to not work as well and, in fact, might be causing pain. And if you think about working a knot out of a muscle, it's like when you press on it, it's like (laughs) unbelievably painful. And it just keeps feeling that way as you, you go through it and work over it. And then at a certain point, it like it releases, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a tendency for muscles to kind of retract and return to that space too. Like Mm -hmm. you have to continue to pay attention to it. But that seems like an apt metaphor for some of the work that I think the church has ahead of it, whether it's seeing communities healed for political divisions 
or you know, racial divisions or socioeconomic divisions, divisions around uh, you know, sexual, or, sexual orientation or gender identity. Those, those conversations are a tough knot and we have to understand what's in them and understand that the process of trying to work through them will hurt. But then we can work through to, again, be anchored in where we're coming from and anchored then in a new vision for our future to help us on this uphill journey. Is there something you see the church having to address right now? I actually feel like I've talked a lot and was going to ask you the same question. Oh. <laughs> so I don't want to put you on the spot because I want to talk about this more. But No, that's fine. Um, but what do you think? We've talked about this just briefly, but I think um, part, at least of my own tradition, that the church has to address is the way that we've treated children or the way that we haven't been welcoming of them, like in our worship spaces particularly. Um, but then we expect them to come back later as adults or as even as like young as teenagers or, or when they're in college there's a definite place where we need to be going there i think but i'm not sure we've like reconciled kind of the arrogance if i can use the word from the text use the, the arrogance that we have yeah like to exclude them and i i think i think something similar applies for considering considering racism in our midst and it's hard to think mm -hmm. about because as uh, reverend dr king is is so famously quoted you know the the sunday sunday church hours the most segregated of the week church and worship have become such a deeply meaningful cultural experience in addition to a re religious experience that working that knot out of the <laughs> muscle i think is going to be gonna really be... painful yeah. But envisioning a new reality that is full of reconciliation and full of abundant life and love. It's going to take some hard work. That seems like an aspect of the uphill journey that we're just realizing how steep <laughs> yeah. it might be. <laughs> yeah. But I think too, Seth, one of the things that I was struck with, and this truly is kind of bringing a more holistic view of our theology um, back to this short psalm where this idea isn't mentioned. But there's also this idea that God is in Jerusalem and that, that God, God needs to be looked up at because God is far away mm -hmm. and God is distant and God is elevated and enthroned in the heavens, uh, as the psalm sa this psalm says in its first verse. And yet we also know that God has come to be with us mm -hmm. in the person of Jesus. God is both the destination of the journey mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a companion in the journey. Yeah. And and I, I wonder how that maybe alters our view of some of these struggles that the church is facing, even if it just makes us think about them a little bit differently. Yeah, for me, that's one of the primary reasons I think children need to be in worship is like it's inherently theological to me like if mm. if god came into the world as a child like to re to reject children from our worship like especially worship spaces is actually like anti-god like that's sin to mm. me 
when we exclude people because of their race, that's sin to me. When we conflate the American church and our political parties, like that's sin to me too. Like that's, that's I think it's also sin when we conflate the American church with the reign and realm of God. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And just assume assume that those things are in line. And it, and it feels like, Seth, we, I still have been so struck by this phrase that we came across from 1 Thessalonians a few weeks ago. Uh, the, the idea of we are on an uphill journey of the hard work of love, mm-hmm. working to make space for all of God's people, regardless of their age or their background or their lot in life. <laughs> That's a tall task, a tall order to fill. And yet this psalm gives us a resource for a way to connect to one another, to connect to God, to seek God's mercy, and to seek solidarity with those that are also climbing with us Mm -hmm. as we're making that uphill journey. And I'm really appreciative of that. I wonder when they sing these songs going up to Jerusalem, do they just sing constantly or are do they sing and then there's moments like this where they like they take the time in between to unpack it to sing mm-hmm. it and then to then talk about it with one another like what what did you hear from from that song and then they talk about it a know. little bit and then it's round two song two yeah <laughs> well i feel like that's part of their part of the upbringing you know as you're you're experiencing that it's the it's the questions of the children mm-hmm. right as you were, you've made reference to it's like hey why do we sing this song <laughs> like why is it important to think about how a dog looks at a hand mm-hmm. or you know what does it mean to ask for god's mercy and the fact that this journey was being made in community allowed generation to inform generation allowed sibling to inform sibling whether by blood or by some other connection and you know and it just allows i don't know it it almost feels like if they were doing that which i fully anticipate that they were it was all part of the same experience Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. i I think you and i have had enough learning experiences where you do the thing and then you talk about the thing about doing the thing (laughs) yeah you debrief it and process it to death and those are important distinctions, and I'm a huge fan of experiential learning. And yet, I think with this emerging from the religious life of a specific community, I have to only imagine that that just became part of how they were acting towards one another and interacting with each other. Any other thoughts, or do you think we're ready to pray? I think we're ready to pray. Awesome. We pray with me? I would love to. God of the heavens, you're enthroned in glory, yet you came to be with us as we labor, work, and struggle towards justice and life in this world. Give us your eyes to see those in our midst who need someone to labor alongside them in their work for their lives and livelihood. And keep our eyes open for ways to partner with you in the work for justice and healing in the world. 
mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of the one who is on this uphill journey with us, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Seth, what story will we tell in that next episode? Next week, we're talking about Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. Ooh, that's a good one. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Jonathan. Thanks for helping me tell it.